the parking lady. Whilst cruising, uh, we talking about the blue-coated parking women out at VFL Park? No, we're not. But I tell you okay. what, I've, I've been contacted by a lady who played that role at some point professionally in her life, and it is an incredible missive that's been sent to me from England, from a listener, from a now woman who was once a girl I went to Pinewood Primary with in Glen Waverley. It's incredible. I'm saving the best till last. Because just before you go onto the parking lady, they used to have parking attendants at VFL Park which was uh, this great big suburban outer ground, and it was the vision of the future by Sir Kenneth Luke, who created it. And uh, then they named a stand after him, the only three-tiered stand in the stadium, and that was meant to be then followed around to make it this great cauldron. And it was never realised and eventually demolished and became uh, an oval in the middle of a housing estate. Anyway, they used to have these parking attendants all dressed in blue um, dust coats, and they were there, there was a, a legion of them because you had to park all around the ground, and they had big badges with their number on, and they were either green or orange. And we went to the footy with a family who knew one of the attendants, and so you'd be streaming across this kind of paddock being parked by these people, nose to tail, and he would wave the Austin 1800 into a special spot <laughs> closer oh, to the ground. Oh. Oh, nice, privileged, but, privileged. So he knew that what time to expect yep. the family I was going with and he'd see it, you know, heading towards him and then he'd just point over. Yeah. And of course, we'd break ranks and everyone else would be streaming past this guy to be t- parked further out in the paddock. Yeah, and, you, and, you, and I tell you, what, you lost a lot of hours uh, in that paddock looking for your car because there was no such thing as like, mm. you know, poles with numbers and colour codes on them to give you an indication of where the fucking thing no. was. You'd d- orientate yourself by... The Ventura Bus Depot oh, parking. That's right. Where it's like all the uh, Nutterwadding Station. <laughs> yeah. There was about 12 buses going to Nutterwadding Station. Because there was no train line anywhere near it, was it? Anyway. No, and the great dream was that one day they're going to put a train line out directly from Flinders Street Station well, to Waverley, and it'd be, it's going to be realised as this football hub. None of that ever happened, and it's such a pity because it really was... I think a magnificent stadium and the potential to be great. Well, oh, come on, it was freezing. I've never been to that, the. I, don't, I haven't been to the Arctic, but I don't fucking need to because it was outrageously cold. You could you couldn't feel your feet by quarter time. The weird thing against Waverley was that it had a meteorological issue, and that was it was directly in a rain belt where the clouds that would gather and come from the southwest uh, across Port Phillip Bay would head out towards the Dandenongs in a direct line with the ground. Yeah. And as they hit the Dandenongs, of course, the precipitation would build and that would rain. And it got the heaviest, coldest rainfall in Melbourne. It was just a weird uh, freak of nature I that managed, it was built. I managed to see Kiss there in 1978, but that comes up in more detail later in the book. Anyway. Anyway, parking lady. Yeah. And speaking about parking, the guy, Jason Hines, uh, who's still a great mate of me and my whole family, he's now a superb photographer, but he also for a while had an apartment right near the MCG with a visitor's spot and it just made oh. getting to the G and any event, say, you know, a big concert at the uh, Tennis Centre, now called Rod Laver Arena. Just, a one-day international. Yeah, a one-day international. You'd never drive home. You'd drive to the events there, <laughs> and you were incapable and smart enough to never drive home. You'd get a, a train or a cab back. But anyway, so. But of course, we've got to tell people to drink responsibly now. We do. You can't tell the story about getting gloriously pissed and 
having your face opened up on a pavement without saying, drink responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the parking lady. Whilst cruising the Moorabbin side streets one Saturday afternoon in search of a parking space, we saw a sign on a front lawn painted on the inside lid of an ice cream container nailed to a wooden post, right? <laughs> <laughs> which, which my big brother Mark had used the same idea for uh, as an air rifle target before he discovered blackbirds as a better option. The sign simply stated, car park, 50 cents. We liked the price and the personal approach, so we became regulars for the remainder of the season. Most of all, we liked the lady who lived there. In her early 40s, she was always dressed like those ultra-American wives who wait for their man to return from the moon. All headscarves and oversized sunglasses. She loved, discuss- <laughs> she loved discussing the upcoming clashes and her knowledge of the saints was boundless. We respected each other's ideas and personally, I was thrilled to lay claim to any kind of regular relationship with a grown woman. Uh, arriving for the first game of the following season and taking care not to leave tyre marks on her gorgeous green grass, Simon parked the car only to find we'd been presumptuous. The offer didn't apply this year. As, oh. as Simon reversed the car, she ran after us. Listen, fellas, we get along well. How does one more season sound? Stay here. Forget the 50 cents. This delightful arrangement eventually came to an end when the Saints moved from Moorabbin. We never knew her name. Wow. That is a beautiful story. She was, and she was great, that lady. But also uh, down there in, well, not quite Brighton yet, you, it's still Moorabbin, of course, that side, side of Dandenong Road, of course, because that's, yeah, it's, it's Moorabbin. But there was these large plantations in the middle of South Road too. So you had two lanes on one side and two lanes on the other. Yeah. And then once you got back into the um, side streets, the the nature strip seemed lusher and broader and the houses seemed a bit more cosy than where we were You're right. I think, from the eastern suburbs. I think they it, were. It seemed spacious, a, a, like a better place to live. Yeah. And so you were travelling to this better land. I loved going to Moorabbin because walking through those back streets to Linton Street, it just seemed like a more aspirational thing. Right. It's like, it, yeah, it, it's, one imagine. day I'll live down here. Well, and I did. Did you? Of course yeah, you did. I, I lived in, I, uh, I took two marriages to Brighton. <laughs> That's the name of your autobiography. <laughs> right. The sweet, back to the book, the sweet musky aroma of wet autumn leaves was a sure sign the footy season was well underway. Yes. This was never. Football season <laughs> comes around, around again. again. And the crowds are streaming through the. Right. Yep. This was never more evident than when we waded through thousands of fallen red, orange and yellow leaves from the tram to the turnstiles at Princess Park. We took the tram from Elizabeth Street in the city and watched old blokes hovering outside the dirty movie houses trying to discover which deal offered better value. The crazy horse appeared to be the most <laughs> the popular. crazy horse in Elizabeth Street. <laughs> yeah. It's where I first saw a stripper. Yeah, same uh, here. I, mean, oh, I saw a live sex show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, oh, that's no, scary. It gives me the creeps even then. I, uh, junkie, I, junkie I was in year 11. It was 1981. And we'd been into town. And we'd been to the Continental because they had this... They were famed for serving underage drinkers. The Continental in Greville Street, Paran. No, the Continental uh, on the corner of Little Collins and Russell Street oh, in the city, right the up. Conti. Yep. Oh, they, of course. And then uh, a few beers, we got the Dutch courage to go to a strip joint. So the four of us went down and uh, I remember going in and sitting down and 
the girls would actually carry their own music onto the stage with them. Right, like a boombox scenario. And, yes, a, a kind of Sanyo tape deck. Yeah, right. Uh, so it wasn't that flash. And this woman came on, she pushed play, and uh, it obviously is connected to the speakers somehow. Um, and it comes through. It was David Bowie's uh, Sorrow. With your long blonde hair, oh, yeah. and, and uh, then you could hear a kind of clomp onto the stage, and the strip show started, and I was entranced. Not only was it, you know, very titillating and arousing, but the whole atmosphere of being in a strip joint, and there was this woman who, who was blonde and very attractive and had an amazing body, and I'd never seen a woman naked before. Uh, you know, there she was performing on the stage. Blew my mind, and all for fifteen bucks. Oh, I can't remember what it was to get in, but um, the next year at the grand final, of course, there was a streaker, and she was attached to the crazy horse in Adelaide. Oh, was she? Was and that? So a... I was like, I am part of this history somewhere along the line. I paid my <laughs> money, and I can own this. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gets you through the night. Is it strip joints? The idea of them when I was a youth. Uh, was appealing, but the actuality scared the shit out of me and does to this day. That's when I take a left turn at a buck's turn is when everybody moves on to the strip oh, yeah. Because the, I mean, qual- you the know, quality of clientele is just full of crims. You, you go, I have never been... And perverts. I, yeah. and, and the whole idea, I mean... You I'm, know, not, I'm not suggesting I'm better than them, but, but I kind of feel like I would never otherwise be in a room with that bunch of blokes and whatever their collective history is. And won't be again if I can avoid a strip joint. But I realise the, there's a I realise there's a requirement for them for, for society, and I realise that the women are earning an honest buck, mm. etc. But it scares the shit out of me. At the age of fifteen, of course, the gender politics and the economic imperatives and the um, socio-economic uh, overview <laughs> of the whole thing didn't strike me at yeah, the time, and I course. understand exactly what it's about. What it was was like you know I was like in a scene from Blue Velvet. I was trans. Ported yes. from a very conservative suburban upbringing yes. to this other world, yes. and it just every element of it. I can still smell the mustiness of the joint. <laughs> I can hear her heels on the stage, <laughs> um, and it wasn't it wasn't cringeworthy. Well, it was good. quite beautiful, and I've, good. You know, probably would I has has it as to say I fell in love with her on the stage? Yes, I fell in love with the blonde stripper Why not? when I was fifteen. Why not? I thought you said you I thought you were gonna say she played uh, you can leave your hat on the dun 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 <laughs> and yes just and take I'm, those old records off the show. No, is that a same, just a different song? What am I on about? That's, that's um, Tom Cruise yeah. sliding into oh, no. view on in risky business. I've got, I've got Tom Cruise in his undies mixed up with a naked blonde woman. What's going on? But if you wanted to take the magical uh, realism element of it as a, as a writer, then I'm watching that and all the, you know, the twisty-esque. That's right. M- matinee hero stepping out of the screen. I'm on stage with her tipping my hat forward, doing some kind of slow, sexy flamenco with her or something in, like that. In your mind. In your mind and then bang, you snap back to right. reality. Like you marking that ball next minute. In your duffel coat, you're running along beside the players, and Bruce Duperuzel <laughs> slaps you on the ass and goes, "Good mark, Maddie." And it's like, "All right, boys, what are we going to do out of the centre this time?" And then, bang, you're back in the stands, hearing penarts, penarts. <laughs> uh, back to the book. The Crazy Horse appeared to be the most popular strip joint among the options. 
and it wasn't just a strip joint; it was a dirty movie house as well. So there was either uh, there was either a stage show of some description happening, right, or there'd just be a film, um, whether it was like Emmanuel or uh, Last... Emmanuel Ars and Nay, yes, Pardon me? or uh, they were the books Emmanuel and then Emmanuel Ars and Nay. Ars and Nay. Yeah, I think that was either the the characters uh, the the author's name or a second version of the book. Arsene Wenger, like the long-term manager of <laughs> Arsenal. Tell you what, no one wants to see that skinny Scandinavian in a dirty movie. No, although most of them are skinny Scandinavians. Okay, uh, the crazy horse appeared to be the most popular of them all. The only time, it was the only time we ever saw actual Deros hanging out on the streets in Melbourne. Mm. Uh and also, you'd see more up by the Victoria Market as we purred past in the trams on the way to Princess Park. So you get off at Flinders Street Station, if you're not familiar with Melbourne, get on the tram at the bottom of Elizabeth Street, and that would take you right up and onto Royal Parade, which is a beautiful maple tree-lined boulevard. It's beautiful. And in the first part of that tram ride, you would see Darrow's, short for derelicts, yeah. which was an in-word at the time. And, um, uh, and most of them... I've written here, most of them seem fully trained in the art of how to fight yourself. <laughs> that is, that's right. Or how to yell at a lamppost yeah. that you perceive as a family member that wronged you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, coming back, the tram was always packed, giving anyone full of beer the chance to pass wind without worry. To share bad air without being singled out must be a pleasure for some people. Once on board, there was nowhere to go. In such situations, supporters of both sides had no choice but to stand among the atrocious odour, though never without complaint. <laughs> oh, every bloody time, someone would always shout as you stood there inhaling the aroma of someone's rotten gut. Or the classic one, which uh, is always yelled in Australia, you've got a dead rat up your ass. <laughs> that's right. That's, what? that's right. Now, my older brother my older brother used to say... Uh, or was Surely my... they can't have precedent. No, my old man would go, you need a dose. <laughs> a dose of the salt to clean you through. Yeah. Uh, better out than in, someone would also uh, yell on every occasion. At the age of 14, I found these events fulfilling and even looked forward to the funny remarks a random fart would warrant. It was infantile, yet as I laughed along with the others, I felt like one of these adults, a man amongst men. I once attempted to join in by shouting Vince after hearing an obvious fart released, and all that happened is that a man turned around as if he'd heard somebody say his name. <laughs> Vincenzo! <laughs> this reaction, combined with an obvious lack of laughter from everybody else on the tram, reminded me of how that Vince term was probably only applicable among me and my primary school mates. And my primary school mates, so and apparently, we shared that. Yeah, and apparently, uh, from a lot of people that's been contacting us, uh, a lot of primary schools around said Vince when someone farted. Anyhow, years later, back to the book, before the tram journey began, we wet the whistle pre-game at Young and Jackson's on the way, admiring Chloe's curves over a cold one. You know, Chloe, the naked lady that France gave us as a gift uh, from one nation to another uh, mm. that was hanging in the main public bar of the famous Young and Jackson's. And Young and Jackson's was the last pub that soldiers would have a beer with each other at right, on the corner of uh, Flinders Street and Swanson Street outside Flinders Street train station, right? It's the last back in the day, right, before the Second World War, uh, or even, I suppose, the Vietnam War, it's the last place that Melbourne soldiers-to-be would have a beer with each other before getting on the train to uh, Port Melbourne, before getting on a ship 
to go to war. And the agreement was, we'll have our next beer together at this same pub when yeah. we return. And of course, a lot of those catch-ups never occurred. And Chloe, the, the naked lady that was painted by, I cannot believe I, I've forgotten the artist's name, and gifted to us by the French nation, I mean, it was no Statue of Liberty, but hey, it's a painting of a naked chick, so we'll take it. Uh, it used to be down in the main public bar until after a Melbourne Cup a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, a bloke was a bit uh, rowdy on the source after a huge day at the races, mm. fell backwards and put his elbow through the canvas. Right Now, luckily, that guy was a loaded, mega-wealthy racehorse owner, and he offered straight away. He fessed up that it was him, uh, realised it probably needed to be repaired, and uh, it was going to, I think it cost like, I don't know, one point. They had to go back to France to be repaired yes. and repainted. Yeah, 1.5 million bucks or something. And now it adorns the upstairs the bar. The upstairs bar where you've got to be a bit classier or you've got to be able mm. to navigate stairs to get up there. So if you're too pissed, you can't even make it, right? But Chloe, yeah, eventually the, the plaque that uh, is beside the, the, the painting in the beautiful frame, um, uh, Chloe uh, apparently killed herself because uh, the artist had, you know, betrothed his long-term forever love for her, maybe to, to get her to undress for him. And mm. uh, and once he'd completed the, the work, he ditched her as quick as he could. And so she scratched the phosphorus of what were then newly invented matches, the red tip, right, mm. by the dozen into a glass and then oh, put dear. boiling water in, stirred it all up together, swallowed it and offed herself because her heart was so badly broken. There you go. So If you've been... Heartbroken by a French artist, Lifeline, 13, 11, 14. <laughs> Years later, before the tram journey began, we wet the whistle at Young and Jackson's on the way, admiring Chloe's curves over a cold one. One year, the Saints were at Princess Park on Anzac Day, and as we arrived at Flinders Street Station around midday, we saw the Wine Jays was packed. Now, oh. hold on a minute. This is after Essendon and Collingwood played the first. No, before that. But they didn't play on Anzac Day, did they? Who? Did, did did football teams play? You're right. On Anzac Day. Hang on, you're right. No, well they must have because because no, it was Bruce Ruxton that gave oh. Collingwood and Essendon the blessing to play on okay, Anzac so Day. Either so it must have been an Anzac Day weekend. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Either that so, or, or sometimes I'm finding now occasionally there's total holes in my memory where I remember a game taking place. Like for example, Mickey Conlon. Sorry to bring this up who kicked a last-minute goal for Fitzroy against the Bombers in an elimination final. The 1986 final. elimination yeah. final to steal us of the three Peters, they're now known. Ugh, what yeah. a horrible made-up word. Yeah, I know. Anyhow, uh, I would swear that I was at that game at VFL Park, or Waverley Park as it became known, mm. and that he was running from right of screen to left of screen. Now, I don't know why I mentioned the screen, because I was actually at the game, I think. But I saw the, but re no, I saw the replay. We're, we're talking about the, the replays from left to right. He's kicking to the small yeah. scoreboard end. So even anomalies like that are arising now I do a little bit of research before we you know, do these updated chats and and but, some of the facts that I recall aren't correct so maybe there's no. a if this, But if you if you were at the ground yep. sitting on the other side of the ground he was running no, from your right I've, to the I've left. I've already taken that into account. I thought right. he was in front of the members wing but anyway listen we're going a bit He was in front of the members wing but running right the other to way. Left, uh, left to right rather. Okay. Yeah. Anyhow so but anyway, my, my brothers, uh, my eldest brother and my father barracks for St Kilda, and we went along to that elimination final, and as you know, Essendon won back-to-back -back finals. And so they, as a bit of a rib of me, uh, decided to barrack for Fitzroy that day. And it's like, oh, well, we're going to win this anyway, so I don't care. 
So in the end, as Conlon gets the ball, I both stand up and go, go, Conlon. Right. And I look up at them and he kicks the goal and Fitzroy win. And they looked down at me and I said, I hope you're proud of yourselves because if it was St Kilda in this game, I would have barracked from them from the start. You're right. And they were sh- shame-faced. And I said, if you wouldn't mind taking me to the Mountain View Hotel, you just drop me off. I'll make my own way home. They said, there's no way of getting home to our place from here. I said, don't worry. I'll make my own way home. And so they sat there with me in silence while I drank, just waiting for me to <laughs> my fury to simmer. <laughs> just, so I'd finally get into the Ford Escort and go back to scores who owed Bayswater with them. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't blame you at all. And also the listeners can't see your face like I can now. And in some ways that's, their good fortune, but the the hurt is still <laughs> apparent in your eyes, and I hope it's apparent in your voice. But isn't that amazing? So many years later, and you've dragged down by them. Oh, well, betrayed, uh, betrayed. Hold on, thirty five years later. Yeah, not that you're holding a grudge. Back to the book. So, as I say, <laughs> one year the Saints were at Princess Park on Anzac Day. Were they? Weren't they? I don't know. Uh, and as we, don't did put, it happen? Yeah. Does it matter? And as Should we, we even finish this podcast? <laughs> See ya. Thanks for. <laughs> and as we arrived at the fucking Wine Jays, it was packed. All the oh. old diggers use the Wine Jays as their local for the occasion every year because of the nearby march to the shrine. But also, your aforementioned reason. They go in there to raise a beer to those that didn't return. That's right. Okay. Now, one of the benefits for the old boys is that the younger generation show their respect by plying them with free pots all day. <laughs> right? so, so many so many elderly men getting shit-faced for free, and all you could see and hear were bodies dropping left, right, and center throughout the afternoon. Later in the day, we observed the minute silence at 6 p.m. and seeing so many people... <laughs> Seeing so many people at that game, so no, there's a major fuck up with my memory here, isn't there? Anyway, later in the day, we observed the minute silence before the game and seeing so many people. Which Do you I, know what? It I might have been it an Essendon, Anzac Day. It must have been. It must Do have know, been no, an Essendon it, Collingwood game. No, it, go on. Look, tell the story because it, it may have been an Anzac Day clash, and they, it wasn't you know official at that stage. Yeah, okay. So many elderly men getting pissed. Sorry. So many elderly men getting shit faced for free, and all you could see and hear were bodies dropping left, right, and center throughout the afternoon. Later in the day, we observed the minute silence before the game and seeing so many people with my eyes, yet hearing not a sound with my ears, always did and still does, gives me a shiver up my spine. Lawrence Mooney for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. We're counting on you.